When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Dream Job Ready. My name is Dane Sharp, I'm your host, and my guest for this episode is videographer, editor, and content creator, John Hedgecoff. Based in California, John has traveled the globe filming, editing, and working with some of the world's coolest brands and socially influential people. He works mostly in sports, fashion, and lifestyle, and his reel of highlights include shoots with Lorna Jane, The Fat Jewish, Steve Aoki, Frankie's Bikinis, New Denim, Volcom, Honey Burdette, Smith Optics, Airbnb, and the World Surf League. Solid CV of dream jobs, right? John has also worked on staff at Rip Curl for a few years, which is obviously where I met him. We used to send John on surf trips to film our team riders all over the globe, and we took him to a bunch of different Rip Curl Pro events to help me capture and distribute our media footage. Oh, and if you've seen the Fire Festival documentary on Netflix, A big majority of that crazy Bahamas footage is actually John's. He was hired to film content for the festival, but like many other people, got ripped off when the event came crashing down. He didn't even get a credit in the documentary. Anyway, John is great in this interview and shares some real truths about getting started and getting success in the content creation industry. He's freelance plenty and work client side, which gives him a valuable dual perspective on how to make it in this industry. We speak a lot about mindset, motivation, about ego, and about straight-up hustle. You're going to get a lot of value from the advice he shares about all this. John is the first to admit that he's not perfect behind the camera or the best at what he does, but he's definitely someone that has taken advantage of most opportunities that have come his way. Sure, he's missed a few and had plenty to learn on the job, but his drive and hard work have always stayed consistent and helped him step from dream job to dream job. This is a must listen for anyone making or editing videos or trying to be a content creator. This is Dream Job Ready with John Hedgecoff. Please note that the opinions of guests are their own and not those of the companies they have worked for. Thanks, mate. I'm uh, stoked. Let's get into it. Um, take me back, first of all, to teenage John. Uh, where were you? What were you doing? Where'd you grow up? And uh, most importantly, what dream job did you want? I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, um, and back then I was just hanging with my two older brothers. We were on the boat a lot, at the beach a lot, skating, surfing, all that kind of stuff. And uh, because they were a little bit older than I was, I just kind of did everything they did. And back then, everything you did was kind of watch TV, watch all these videos, and then kind of try and go simulate that. Whether it was like you know being like your, it was just being like your idols who were in the videos. 
And uh, so from an early age, I wanted to be either a pro snowboarder, surfer, skateboarder, whatever. And if I didn't do that, I kind of loved them so much and I knew that I wanted to some way film those or film or make those movies essentially. And that's kind of when I got into video stuff. Awesome. So today, videographer, <clears throat> producer, editor, probably a stack of other uh, logistical responsibilities under that as well. But, um, you know, I'm really excited to talk about, um, you know, what you've done throughout your whole career, especially recently, man. You've been crushing it in the last few years. But, um, you know, let's let's kind of peel it back for the listeners to kind of really help understand what it takes to make it uh, and, you know, be someone that can work in this industry, uh, in film, in video, uh, in production, et cetera. Um, so, so let's stay back there. So, you know, wanted to be professional athletes like many of us. Um, yeah, didn't happen, obviously. Um, yeah, but Those who can't do teach, right? <laughs> 100%. Where'd the transition happen? Why, why film? Why'd you pick up a camera? Um, <clears throat> my dad, not to say that like my family is introduced it's in my blood or anything, because it's really not, but my grandfather and my dad shot a lot of Super 8 in film. And um, my dad had a darkroom actually in our house when we were younger, but I was never old enough to learn how to shoot all the cameras and stuff like that. But when I started, I was, I was like above average at, surfing, skating, snowboarding, all this stuff. And my good buddy Ryan used to film me because he bought a camera. And there was one distinct day where he went to the bathroom and he was editing like footage of me, just like any, you know, person or kid who's being filmed, they want to see all the clips and stuff. So I like wouldn't leave him alone. And he went to the bathroom one day and was like, can you edit this? You know, when this gets to this duration or whatever, just click this button. And I did. And then that was kind of when like, I was like, oh, this is like, this is pretty fun. And then that's kind of how I started filming everybody else too. It just kind of happened. Like I started picking up the camera more and more and then realizing, oh, this isn't that bad. This yeah. is pretty fun. And yeah. you've been pretty humble. You were a good snowboarder, right, when you were younger? I was decently good. I got hurt a lot. I probably had a chance to go pro at one point, but I just I threw in the towel. It just hurt too bad. Yeah. But I was, yeah, I did a bunch of contests. Ended up being nationally ranked at like 24th in the country when I was 17. But, yeah, I mean, there was moments where I was watching pro snowboarding going, I can't do this. There's no way. Yeah. Like, this is like gymnastic abilities that you're born with, and I don't have those. So I'm done. And that's the critical stage, right? I mean, it's probably younger yeah. these days, but, yeah, 17, 18 is, is well, it's, it's usually break for most people, right? Yeah. So, so you were editing some footage um, of yourself while a guy went to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, from there, like, did you just go – I want to do this a little bit more or was it just organic? You just took took the reins and did a little bit more cutting? Or? So it gets interesting. So when I was when I was 15, I got sent to boarding school. And because uh, like in my hometown, I was following what my brothers did. And I wasn't like a bad kid or anything. I was just one of those kids who I was in the classroom and I couldn't stop staring out the window. Couldn't focus on anything I didn't like. Couldn't read a book. Would have to read stuff like three times over was only only cared about snowboarding, surfing. That's that's it. Like lived and breathed it, lived the music, like the clothing, everything. And um and at that time my parents were like, you know, where do you want to go to school? And I was just pretty baffled that they were sending me away because no one I directly knew got sent away to school. I was just like, this is like crazy. Like are you, are you guys really sending me away to school? Like what's going on here? Like what did I do? And um then we met with some lady and she was like, you know, where do you want to go, cold or hot? And I was like, cold. Like, I want to be a pro snowboarder. Yeah. So I went to school. Fast forward three years later, I started competing all this stuff. And I 
I asked my dad for a camera and he was like, if you get, you know, straight A's or B's or something, he's like, I'll get you a camera. So I got a camera and then it was early on in the season. My buddies and I boarding school would film each other every day. And I was hitting a jump in practice after some half pipe contest and I didn't really compete in half pipe. And it was like a 60 foot jump or something. And I was super cocky at that point in my riding just thought that like I was better than everybody mm-hmm. and I kind of was at the time it was, it was decent but I, I didn't check the jump came up short snapped my leg in half and this is like thanks like right after Thanksgiving and it was supposed to be like my year and that was my junior year of high school so at the time I let my friends use my camera all winter long and they would bring me back footage and I just started right. editing like super super heavy and it wasn't it it then wasn't about me. It was like editing other people. And that's when I got like super, super into it. That's awesome. Yeah. And then from there, my parents were like, you know, you got to go to college. I was like, no, no, I want to be like pro snowboarder. My dad's like, nah, not happening. Like you have to go to college. Like that's just, it wasn't even an option. Uh, There was no other option. So I was like, if I get into any school in Colorado, I'm going, that's where I want to go. I want to go chase my dreams. So I got in. Um, went to school in Colorado and then just failed pretty much miserably in this college. Just like, what were you doing? I was just gen ed, just general education and was rattled in a class of 400 kids with the, with a teacher who's got like a microphone on just being like uh, talking about college chemistry. And I I was like, literally, I don't know what's going on right now. Yeah. And basically they put me on academic probation and I was like, I need to find something that I'm good at really, really quickly and just do that. So I transferred to film school in Boston, and that's where kind of everything really kind of clicked. It's a big move. What? How did you? How you make that decision? How was it? Was it a layup, or did you actually have to get really sold into finding opportunity, finding you need to go to? At that time, I was just super into doing video and, and shooting photos. Yeah. And at that time, I was shooting thirty-five millimeter photos just in the mountains and everything, and kind of learning it and and. Um, and then I was also on the weekends hanging out with friends at snowboard contests. And there was like a very, it's not really important, but there was this, a distinct moment. We watched Sean White live um, and he did all f- four possible 900s in a row on four jumps at nighttime at this contest um, in like every stance you could do. It's like doing, you know, writing your name with your left hand or your right hand, your left hand, and then, you know, and, you and your two feet. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, I'm totally done. Like, there's no way I can ever do this. That's just not in the cards for me. And that's when I was like, okay, with that and everything else that happened, I was like, go to film school. And then that was it. So the industry can thank Sean. Yeah, the industry Breaking can thank Sean. Breaking dreams, but the flying tomato. <laughs> and, um, I mean, obviously, you know, the, a lot of the creative industries, um, especially, you know, film, photos, et cetera, it, it's almost a requirement that you have to have filmed something or edited something or taken a photo of something to actually get into it and make it a career. Uh, I wouldn't imagine there's many people that have walked up to a job and gone, yeah, no worries, I'll shoot, um, press the button. Um, what was your first paying job or first non-paying job outside of editing your mates and editing some of your own stuff? When I was a kid, I worked with my brothers at a yacht club. and We pumped yeah. gas in boats and yachts and pumped shit out and did everything like that. And we get, you know, you get tips for like uh, taking ice bags to boats. And that was about it. I did that, and then I did construction cleanup, actually, for a buddy of mine. Yeah. Um, 
And I did that every other day for a full summer because my dad was just like, you need to learn how to work. And I remember coming back with like, I would paint steel beams with tar paint. And, and my guy, like, well, welders were above me. The sparks were landing on my back and you're in jeans and it's like 100 degrees out and just, it was miserable. There's another reason not to do that for a living. Yeah. I was like, this is done. I'm done. <laughs> so you're in Boston. Yep. Film school. Um, doing any work in the industry while you're at school, like work experience? Even? <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of a funny one. So I, I wasn't working when I was in school. Um, I was just still like shooting for fun. I was shooting a lot of photos at that time and doing a lot of video for school. Photos interest you more initially? Um, it was just easier. Right. You know, it was just like something you could pick up a camera and like shoot a photo. It sure. wasn't like video. It, when you're working on something and, you ha- and you're forced to work on it, it doesn't become that much of a passion in, in that time. And that's yeah. kind of just kind of over it. Um, but when I was there, um, it was super weird because I was a kid from like Southern Virginia who grew up on the beach involved in like skating, snowboarding, surfing, like I said, and every kid I was in class with grew up in an inner city. And it was just, it was just way different when we would get assignments from work um, or from school. Those kids would do like horror movie stuff and weird acting stuff. And I would come in with like surf stuff and my teachers didn't know how to grade it. They didn't mm-hmm. know what was going on, but they knew it was good. Cause you're still somewhat telling some of the story. Yeah. And, um, and I was also replicating like skits that other filmmakers and surf had done. I mean, and that was kind of how I got along. But um, yeah, that was kind of like how the schooling thing went. And then my senior year, um, at that point during the summers, I was pretty heavily shooting all the photos for a lot of surfing and skating events in Virginia Right during summer. Paid or unpaid? Paid. Yep. Some of them unpaid. But I knew... I grew up with all the sales reps. So like I knew all the guys at Billabong. I knew all the guys at Volcom and Hurley and all this stuff. And I was doing a bunch of Hurley stuff. And the, the sales rep for Hurley hit me up like three days before school ended for the summer. And he's like, Hey, are you going to be in town, you know, tomorrow or whatever? Uh, Hurley's coming in town. They're doing this event called, uh, Oh my God, I can't even remember what it was. It was this fashion event for high schools and these teams of high schoolers design clothes and they throw like a full on runway show and the winning school designs product that Hurley puts in stores. And they're like, we need a photographer. I was like, yeah, I'll be there. So I drove like overnight, 10 hours, shot stuff. And at that time, uh, Bob Hurley was there Mm -hmm. and like, he's the founder of Hurley. You're like, oh, this guy's, you know, don't mess up, whatever. He's watching you, but he really wasn't. Take the lens cap off. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, at that time, he actually handed me his card, his personal business card. And was like, come out to California. I'll show you around or whatever. Yeah. You should come intern with us. And it was pretty much like set in stone. I was going to get an internship with Hurley. Yeah. Um, so my parents helped me and I booked a ticket, like whatever months was later, stayed with a buddy of mine and like literally called Bob Hurley. And That's so awesome. went to the office, had an interview with him, just like hanging out and then met with the HR lady she took on my info. It's like guaranteed going to get this internship. And then eventually they went through some changes. And this was in 2000, this was in 2008. So in 2009, when the market kind of collapsed, they kind of pulled back their intern program and I did not get the internship that I dreamed of. Ouch. But that took me into, I was in school in Boston. And so I started hitting up all these other contacts and, um, this last guy who was a good friend of mine who I knew, this guy, Grayson Adams, um, he was a rip curl surfer. And in Virginia, like 
we just weren't big on Rip Curl. It wasn't that big of a company there. It was a lot of like Volcom, Billabong, and stuff like that. And uh, in its East Coast, a lot of Quicksilver because yeah. everyone wants to be like Kelly Slater and yeah. stuff. And uh, my buddy Grayson was like, I got someone for you, marketing director, and this guy Dylan Slater. Like, hit him up. So I hit him up, and they send me videotapes of all their junior team from a Costa Rica trip. And he's like, try editing this, and then we'll see what happens. And I'm in school. This is like February of 2009. And literally, this is exactly what happened. I, the tapes were HD, so my camera, like my computer and my equipment, like couldn't read them. So I went to some studio and uh, imported all the footage, edited all the footage, sent it to Dylan and the team manager, this guy, Nick Greninger, became a good friend. And they had sent me back an email that was like, if you keep doing stuff like this, you're going to have a long career at Rip Curl. And, wow. and you're welcome to have an internship here. And I was still in Boston. It's snowing outside. I'm like really excited. And the video went online, went on a surf, uh, a surf website called Surfline, and it got like 25,000 views. And at the time, that was kind of rare. Like yeah. a lot of stuff wasn't It's like about a billion that. now. Yeah, it's 10 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and that's how I started working Rip Curl and got my internship was um, a couple months later. I just, after I graduated school, I'd never even walked. Nine days later, drove cross country with my brother and a few of my best friends, and that was it. That's awesome. Yeah. And there's, mate, there's a couple of huge things in there for me. One, which is going to come up all the time about, you know, it's who you know a lot of the time, right? Yep. Like you, know, you didn't get that first internship with Hurley, but just the, um, I guess, the bravado for you to say yes, take on that opportunity, do that initial Hurley event, and then just put yourself in a position to meet somebody from the brand, let alone the founder, uh, is huge. Um, and then obviously calling a, calling a friend, calling a contact with Grayson um, yeah. connected you. But on top of that, um, you know, you, you're obviously, you know, initiative to do both of those things anyway. You could have easily just, I'm sure, stayed in Boston and not gone back to do that event. Or, Thank God I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Was, um, you know, you're sort of, it's, it's young 20s, right, at that time. Is, yeah. That's a that's a big move moving from still on the east east side of America over to, you know, the world famous California. But was it an easy decision? Um, yeah, it was. My whole life growing up, like I I love Virginia, and I and I I mean I give all credit to all my friends for the way I was raised, the way I work now. Everything is for my friends and my family still to this day. Like they'll tell you, uh, you know, if someone writes me happy birthday on Facebook. I write back to every single one of them individually. Like I, it's just, that's, I never forget where I kind of came from. But when I was growing up and wanted to be a, a pro athlete, every single person, snowboard, skate, surf, whatever, they were all from Southern California. So I always like something about it always kind of drew me there. I'd never really been there, but I just knew that I would fit in. And yeah. that was kind of it. So it wasn't that, it wasn't a hard move. It was, different it was pretty far so let's talk about that rip curl um as listeners will now know i, I spent nine years there um uh, in the global marketing teams where we obviously met yep. um you know i remember the early days of of john hedgecoff at rip curl but um you know highlights give me a highlight give me a low light highlights were probably all the uh world tour surfing events we were because i kind of found out like what my kind of calling was um kind of learn how to like delegate things and work really hard and work with other people a lot more. And it was just fun. It was just everything different every day. And you just kind of had to, had to learn it on the go. Yeah. Um, low moments. I don't know if I had that many, maybe just being marooned on a beach, filming perfect waves. That's a pretty low moment when you can't yeah. surf. Yeah. yeah. 
and making getting, you stand on the getting sunburned and right? bug bites and it's not as not as awesome as people think it is i think i've got some amazing photos of you literally just wearing a shirt over your head burnt to the crisp yeah uh, i was filming tom Kern once in indonesia on a boat trip for rip curl sounds horrible and i literally the tide went out i was on a on a dry reef and I was getting fried. I wrapped my shirt around my legs, and I couldn't even turn the, the tripod enough to like get Tom on a wave. I was just like I couldn't move. I think one of the reasons we got on so well, um, you know, certainly in those initial days, was that, like I feel like I've got a pretty good um, take on talent when it comes to you know in the creative world. Um, there were there were filmers, photographers, etc. that I didn't resonate with straight away because <laughs> I didn't think they worked hard. I think you know. I didn't think they were open to learning, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that was one thing that really got me straight away with you is that, um, you know, you obviously knew your craft and, and kind of knew what you wanted to be, but you were definitely open to feedback in, in those early days. Listened sometimes, didn't listen to others, but um, definitely open for feedback, um, definitely wanted to learn and, you know, we're okay doing doing sometimes the, the shit jobs uh, in this industry. You know, it's not all, it's not all gravy, as you said. Um, but the other thing is, you know, I knew very early that uh, on top of that hard work, you actually had a skill. You know, there's some people that, especially with shooting, photography and videos, there's some people that right have it, right? And you can, um, you know, you can learn techniques and you can learn technology, et cetera. But when did you realise, or have you, maybe you haven't realised still, but when did you realise you're actually pretty decent at it? I, I still deny it every single day. Right. Um, I don't really know. Like I, I kind of realised... I was decent at it when I'd hear other people complain about stuff. Um, and I used to complain like a ton, but certain things for me were just easier than everybody else. Like mm -hmm. I don't mind, like you said, putting in the hard work to get the job done. And other people or other kids or my age had cameras in their hand. They only wanted to go like film artsy surf stuff. And I just, I wasn't about that. I just, you know, I couldn't sit on a beach by myself. I hated it. I was bored. I have, you know, I'm too hyper. I was like, I need to be, you know, be doing something, be creating something. So if I was in an office doing content management stuff or, you know, at the, at the contest that you and I worked at, I just, it all kind of clicked, mm -hmm. but I still deny that I'm good at anything to this day. Cause I do, I mean, I met so many people, so many photographers and video guys I still keep up with in the industry and they're like, I see their work and I'm like, Hey, how do I do stuff like that? And yep. they're still so much better than me. I have to work so much harder for it still to this day. So yep. I'll deny that I'm ever decent at it still. Any guys in the industry or girls in the industry that, um, you know, you followed or thought were, you know, were great when you were starting out? When we were starting out, we were a lot of the stuff like Rip Curl International would give us like chances because we were, we were kind of the Americans and Rip Curl, if people don't know. It was kind of like run by the international department, which is in Australia. Yeah. It should be. It's an Australian brand. And so everything, all the big campaigns were done by, by them and by guys you worked with and girls. And all the U.S. guys would be given chances, whether it was like a Grom trip or whatever it was. Yeah. And I was working there, and we were doing some Grom thing in Hawaii for like two weeks. And my buddy Corey Wilson was with me at the time, and he was a photographer and a friend, I'm best friends with his older brother, who also interned at Rip Curl with me my first year. And uh, Corey and I would share a bed in Hawaii every single night. And there was this rooster that, like, it would, oh, my God, it was just so annoying. Every morning at 5 a.m., and he would open his eyes and look at me and just be like, this, I'm going to kill this thing. And uh, 
But Corey wasn't even established. No one knew Corey. A couple Santa Cruz kids who worked at like Surfing Magazine and stuff like that knew of him. And um, he was really, 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 really good. Yeah. And everyone knew when they saw his photos, he just, everything he touched turned to gold. Yeah. God loves Rats Corey Potter. still to this day. But that's when I was like, he works differently than I do. Corey just sees things from the outside looking in. It's not easy for him. He works hard, but he just gets it done mm -hmm. um, and gets it done in like a magical way where you look at it and you're like, shit, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, wow. uh, But that's when like, you know, a talented kid, I was like, wow, he's really, really good. Last question with, well, I can't, I can't promise last question, but we'll say last question with Rip Curl. Um, you know, kind of those wow moments because, you know, you, you've gone from school to what uh, at the time and, and now is, you know, a company with over 50 years of history. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly not the size of a Facebook or an Amazon uh, these days, but a 50-year company, it's got processes, it's got rules, regulations, it's got corporate within a non-corporate environment. Um, what, did you, what did you have to learn, like the first corporate job by the sounds of it? Oh, my God, everything. I mean, every job I do now, anybody I talk to on set, they'll guarantee you, they'll tell you I'll, I'll mention Rip Crow at least once. And at the time when I left, um, I wasn't that stoked. I was pretty burnt out. I was a little negative back then and everything like that. But um, you learn everything. I mean, there's there's key guys there. There's this guy, Sasha Lopez, who was the art director in the U.S. And he taught me, I mean, everything. Like kids these days who are on Instagram or make their living, you know, or have made their come up through that. They don't learn all the corporate structure of like logos, you know, but people don't understand that like logos are in little millimeters of, of uh, you know, of spaces on surfboards that you create on on PDFs, on all these little documents and colors and um, compression and all this kind of stuff. So like learning that at a corporate level is pretty crazy that the window displays on the shops halfway across the world have to match everything in the videos that you're doing. And I mean, everything, the music, yeah. all that stuff. But also learning, like the biggest one is learning how to manage the amount of content, a company that does $100 million in sales uh, every year, like managing all that content that you have to you have to get out there in the world because yeah. it's way more than like doing a YouTube video every day for a vlog. That's true, mate. And what yeah. about, you know, just sort of riffing off that, what what about what you want to do versus what the company want to do? Because as, you know, I actually interviewed Neil, uh, first first podcast on this series, Neil Ridgway, the global marketing chairman, where one, one of the things he said in the podcast was, you know, the, the brand is bigger than the person uh, and it's one of the hardest things that people learn going and working for a cool company like Rip Curl, like Nike, or like Google, is that the company exists? It's got its pros and cons when you're in there, but it's it's a brand, it's a business. Um, talking about that, and I'm sure there's times where you wanted to go shoot something on your own, or you you had an idea for something, but it didn't fit within that plan or that campaign. Yeah, when you work at a, on a corporate level, you have to like throw any ego you have out the door. You cannot say, oh, this is well, this is you know, you guys hired me, but this is the way I do things. No, nah, it's like they hired you. This is the way they do things, and you have to kind of mold yourself to it. Um, and it's a tricky one these days, and just in general it is, but I think that's kind of the beauty. It's like, you know, you'd go do something, um, and then my bosses would be like, no, nah, whether it was you or somebody else, you're like, no, no, do it again. You're like, what do you mean? Like, I just, this is like kind of my style. They're like, no, nah, it's not like Rip Curl. It's not this company. It's none of that. Mm. Uh, but it's a huge one. Like, you definitely have to know how to work with people, and it's the overall thought process of like the entire company that matters, not your own. But that's kind of what makes it beautiful is like 
working with 10 different guys to create one project. And once you learn how to do that and figure that stuff out, you'll learn that in the end, that project's going to be way better with 10 people's input than just yours. Yep. Because there's just stuff that you're not going to think of. And the other thing is sometimes it's not though, right? Like sometimes it's not, but that's just the deal. Mm-hmm. It's what you sign up for. It's another comment around that ego. It's uh, yes, uh, so many times in my career life I've not necessarily thought it was the right way to do something or thought there was a different or a better way. Um, and evidently there might have been, but you just got to suck it and see and move on, right? And sometimes, you know, if you're like actually shooting something, you can be like, okay, well, let's do it your way and then we'll do it my way if we have time just yeah. to have both options. And that's, that was fun too, like doing things like that because then in the end you can do two different edits and you see what they wanted and then you kind of can see the difference. So yeah. but th- it's, it's all a big learning curve, but it's kind of crazy, but it's fun. All right, quick one with crazy before we step off to the next job. Um, best, let's let's hype it up. Best trip, most funnest trip you ever did with Rip Curl. Where was it? Best trip with Rip Curl. We sent you plenty of places. You sent me a lot Europe, of places. All the states. I'd say like any. Oh, I mean, the Rip Curl Puerto Rico or Rip Curl Pro Search in Puerto Rico. <laughs> See, yeah. still still got to get it right. Uh, that was pretty insane. Like seeing there was a lot of dramatic stuff that happened from. Andy Irons passing away, not at the event, but in the, in the few sure. days we were there, and learning on a corporate scale how to deal with that. Um, seeing Kelly Slater win his 10th world title, you know, all the Ripcord guys killing it. It was just insane working with everybody in, like, an environment that's not really supportive for a big event to just step in, and, and it was just was hard. Everything was hard. You're editing in a little box with a lot of beer next to you in humid mm-hmm. weather. And uh, it was just different back then, but it was fun. That yeah. was a fun trip. You make a very good comment. That that event, uh, and I will move on in a sec. That event had everything you probably dream of to be, you know, wanting to be a, a surf photographer or videographer. You know, Kelly Slater winning uh, his tenth world title, Steph winning. Um, but you're right, the dr- the dramatics um, and the you know, completely unfortunate events of Andy. Um, that was something we all had to learn on the job to deal with um no media training i'd done up until that point prepared me for the you know uh, magnitude of of that type of event so you're always learning right always learning on the job um right up we've left rip curl where'd you go um after rip curl i did a few freelance jobs in between but pretty much right away went to smith optics um i kind of got pulled into there through a friend of a friend and just yeah that's kind of when i really figured out what my special skills were and, and really what I like to do. That's so. another dream job, mate. Like you grew up snowboarding and you're working for a company that makes eyewear and snow goggles, etc. That was probably a bigger dream job than anything else. I'd realized that like the job I was in at Smith, everything I'd ever done before, because I didn't just work or I didn't just like compete in active sports. I was a mountain biker. Um, I grew up around guys that hunted and fished my whole life. Yeah. I grew up on boats. And at Smith, we were working in categories for every single one of those. And I just, I knew how to talk to the people. I knew what was going on. I knew how to film the stuff. And that's when it was like, it kind of really, really took off. It was like, oh, shit, this is like, you can you can do this. This is fun. But also learned a lot, traveled a lot more than at Rip Curl. So it was crazy. It was really, really crazy, but it was fun. I remember when you, you when I spoke to you about that job, it was a huge opportunity. I was stoked for you. Um, how, how did you get it? Was it? Did you know someone? Did you have to apply, interviews? There was – it's a funny – it's actually a funny process. <laughs> oh, Dylan Slater's going to hate me for this. <laughs> At the time, um, 
the two team managers at Smith, they Smith Optics sponsored Rip Curl Grom Search. And so we would have to do like little video clips during the Grom Search stuff. But those two guys, this guy, uh, Sean Laster and JP Collette became good friends of mine. And I'm sure you might know JP. But uh, anyway, they uh, they were like, oh, there's a video job open at Smith. You should you should go interview for it. So I told my boss at the time, which is probably what anyone would have done. I was like, you know, I'm, I got to take these three days. I had something going on. I was sick or something. Yeah. Because Smith was located in Sun Valley, Idaho, which was a plane flight and a half away from mm-hmm. Southern California. And I flew in. I was super nervous. I had never really had a job interview because before it was like an internship. It was just kind of like yeah, right. work your way into the job. Yeah. And um, I landed, went out to dinner with their entire marketing team with like 10 people to sushi and was just completely nervous. And they were asking me all types of questions. And they were grilling me as if I was this like L.A. Hollywood kid because I was living in Los Angeles at the time. I was like, I'm not from L.A. Like I'm from Virginia. I'm, I'm, I'm good. We're down to earth. Yeah. And, um, and the next day, stayed there the night, next day, they gave me a list of things to edit. And I was like, whoa, whoa what's going on here? Like, you're giving me a list of things Straight to into it. edit. Like, I'm not even, I don't work for you guys. And I didn't know at the time, but the creative director, the marketing director, and one of the art directors were behind me. And they were watching me edit. And they're like, here's the hard drive of footage. Have fun. And... I kind of just used my experience from Rip Curl and was like, you know, what can you, how much of this can you get done in one day? And just start going through clips, pulling stuff. And out of the three people they flew there, I was the only one who got like 80% of it done. Right. And they, I guess, were pretty surprised at how fast I was working. And that was it. They offered me the job and they were like, oh, it's in Idaho. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not taking it. And uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm not moving to Idaho. Like at that time I was... 20, I forget how old I was, but I was, I just moved into a shipping container home in Los Angeles with my three best friends. And I was like, I'm not moving. This is going to be like, I could just tell this is going to be something special. And later that month, they were like, Hey, we still haven't hired anyone. Can you come to Chile and shoot snowboarding? I was like, yep. So I told my boss, I was like, Hey, I'm going to work a freelance job in Chile, shoot snowboarding. Um, I was still at Rip Curl, but it, it didn't intervene because it was a snowboard company. Rip Girl didn't really involve themselves in snowboarding too much. Right. Um, and then after that, I shortly, they were like, shortly after that, they said, uh, yeah, you can take, we want you to take the job, but just you can stay in LA. And I was like, jackpot. Boom. Let's do this. And that was it. Wow. Yeah. How did you, how did you build up the confidence to knock it back in the first place? It wasn't too, well, there was a couple of things that were going on in LA or Newport Beach at the time that I was, I was involved in, but it wasn't hard to kick it back. It was just like, I I can't move to Idaho. I'm too young. It's a town of 3000 people. I, I think the big one was just moving in with my three best friends in LA into a huge city, into something special. It was like a big creative space. We just kind of had a feeling that something good was going to happen. And I just didn't want to miss that. That was it. And I kind of argued to them. I was like, you know, you guys say I'm going to be traveling a lot, not even living here. We'll just, I live next to LAX now, 15 minutes away. It's the biggest airport like in the world. I'll just fly to there. So eventually they just said yes. Wow. Are you a pros and cons guy? Like do you write down pros and cons? My dad does a lot and he told me to at the time. And I don't think I did. I just kind of knew like, I just kind of knew what was going to happen. Awesome. Yeah. And so eventually got the job a month later. How long were you working with Smith? Um, about the same time as Rip Curl, I think about three and a half, four years, if I can remember. Yeah. yeah. So that's another, another solid amount of time to be learning, growing, 
developing, et cetera. Yeah. And then their parent company, after all that, I mean, we traveled around the world. I met one of my best friends who's uh, older, this guy, Mark Welsh, who's a famous like snowboard and just lifestyle outdoor photographer. And he just, he was going through a divorce at the time. And it was, he was the photo guy. I was the video guy. We were flying everywhere. And it was just rad to see him. He's taught me just as much as you or, or any of the key guys in my life. And uh, to see someone go through like a tough time, but also inspire you to work harder and kind of, he was a big, he still is a big mentor to me, but that was like a, a fun kind of couple years. And then the parent company put kind of a stranglehold on him and said, you know, Smith has to move out of this little tiny mountain town. They got to move to Portland. My boss was like, you can move to Portland if you want, but I probably know it's not what you want to do. And I was like, yeah, I'm not moving to Oregon. And that's kind of when I was like, had that oh shit moment where I was like, I'm kind of older. I've been partying a lot in LA. Like, what am I going to do now? What'd you do? When I met you and we were at Rip Curl, there was no YouTube. There was no Instagram. Or there was there was YouTube, but it wasn't what it is now. Um, I was doing million dollar deals with YouTube. They don't give that away anymore. So yeah, yeah it's changed a lot. It's just changed. And the work we were doing changed. And that's a whole other conversation in itself. But um, when I left Smith, I was kind of like, you know, what do we do? Like, what do I do? Because, you know, before that, you're used to working these huge content jobs at the companies and making videos every single day. And and now it's just like, I really didn't know what to do. I knew that I had worked a lot of freelance jobs doing like brand videos and catalog work and stuff like that. So I kind of just assumed that I could keep doing that. Um, a couple of friends like hooked me up with some, some freelance jobs like that to keep me going. And then that's kind of how I fell into what I'm doing now, essentially, and just kept it going, kept yeah. the dream alive. And you, you know, Smith, you learned some, probably some more managerial skills, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people managing skills, team managing skills than you would have had for, for the curl. So where did it take you? You, know, you, you just went, well, I won't say you went straight there, but you just started finding bits and pieces of freelance kind of gig? I don't know, like early 2009, when you did work a freelance job, basically someone would come in and say, you know, I have a denim company, we're going to shoot this catalog with a photographer, can you come in and do a video? We just want like a three minute video for the website, like a brand video. So you're like, cool. And then that kind of evolved into, oh, we're, you know, for instance, we're a cheese seed company, we want to do a voiceover and then shoot all that lifestyle stuff and have you make us a brand video that right. talks about our company. And you're like, cool, that's it. And those companies would pay you anywhere from like 800 bucks in the low end to like five grand in the high end. Mm -hmm. um, and then when Instagram and YouTube started blowing up, you started doing all this short form content. So then when I left Smith, I was like, that brand thing doesn't really exist anymore. The next step of that is like commercials. Um, so it was kind of like how to transition into that. Yeah. And that's when I really used my like corporate background and not really managing of people because I, I never really managed anyone. I managed content right. and stuff like that and worked well with others. But I used those skills to figure out my next steps and kind of going like, okay, I think I can do commercials one day. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready. Uh, it kind of freaks me out. I'm super nervous, but let's just keep working my way there. Yeah, And that kind of like led me into just a bunch of freelance work that was a bit more structured. Um, and it's kind of in the middle ground of like, oh, you're doing commercial work, but the commercials you're doing now aren't going to TV. They're going sure. to YouTube, to yeah. Instagram. And you're in the right place to be in that change of the, changing of the guard in California as well. Like you, you, you're a humble guy, um, and I'll, I'll put the put your Vimeo link in uh, in the podcast description. But you, know, you flick through who you've worked for, and I'll let you talk to you know any of the brands or companies or people. But you've got everyone from 
Yeah, so very much. You've got everyone from the fat Jewish doing uh, you know, videos for, for him and, and uh, his initiatives to, you know, White Fox, Quicksilver, um, and then right down to, you know, individual models and, and content creators. Yeah. Um, talk to me about it, especially, you know, especially what you said before. One job might be 800, one job they've probably asked for free, one might be five grand, you know. How was it all coming at you? How do you... How do you share a bit of wisdom for, for that guy or girl that's coming up in the industry to make that happen and and make it work? So in the past couple of years, I've learned a lot. I've worked a ton of jobs in the past 10 years um, since I was an intern and stuff like that. But the big one I've learned even recently as I get older and older is you're never too good for any job, no matter if it's 500 bucks or 10,000 or 20,000. You have to work everything and you have to go into every single job and, e- and treat them like equal importance, right? Like mm. now that's my biggest thing is I don't treat any job smaller than one of my big clients because they're not, you know, less important at all. Sure. Um, and you just work just as hard. The more people that are talking good about you is the better. Yeah. And that's how I kind of got all that content. But um, I kind of just take on everything. My friends probably think I'm a workaholic or probably know I'm a workaholic, but I just think you can learn something from every single job, big or small, and that's kind of got me to now. Where did that insight come from? Is that did you just develop that thought overnight, or is it something that you got told by a wise man one day at a bar? Most of my friends know that when I was working surfing, like I wasn't that happy. I was happy to work the events with guys like you, and and when I was learning, I was super happy. But the day to day stuff, it was just I got burnt out really, really quickly. In, in surfing, like I'm not one of those guys, like I said, that can go just, you know, smoke weed and sit on the beach and film Mick Fanning or whoever it is and be happy doing like, you know, video clips. Like I cannot do that. I need to be doing something else. Um, and so the work ethic just like kind of came from all that stuff. And then eventually now, I don't know, you just kind of keep doing that. And, and it kind of, I don't know if that, I'm getting a little off topic, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just happened. That was it. It's a mindset, mate. You got. I mean, yeah. you're right because it's it's the same even when you're in you know a one company corporate yeah. role. There's yeah. there's jobs you get or projects or um, you know pieces of work that are like, wow, this is five stars. I'm going to yeah. look like a hero, or this is going to change the world or the business or change a customer's life, etc. And then there's other stuff where you're like, oh, we should have to do this, right? Yeah. But to your point, um, they both have a door at the end of them that could lead anywhere, and I'd imagine that's. Definitely the case with some of your freelance work. There's, I'd imagine, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd, I'd imagine there's a job that you did for somebody along the way that wasn't that all-inspiring, high-paying job that has turned out to be that times 10. Well, okay, so I remember where I was going with that. So I was uh, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I remember where I was going. So, yeah, I was, like, pretty unhappy, complaining a lot. My friends probably thought I was miserable to be around um, for the most part. And then a few years ago, a good friend of mine, um, he's a big time pro surfer. Um, this guy, Travis Luggy gave me this book. It was called mind power in the 21st century. And it wasn't like super deep or anything. He just, he goes, brew, I think you need to read this. This is the reason why I qualified for the world tour. And he goes, you know, have I remind you that I qualified in one of the hardest times ever when Andy and Kelly and all these guys were on yeah. tour and like myself, Travis had to work for it. You know, he's not some world champion guy. He's won some events, but he, Anybody who's on tour now or anyone who was on tour will tell you that Travis like, He's a slugger. is just works hard, yep. gets it done. You're not going to find him out partying before an event. Like he just gets it done. Um, so I read this book and it was all about positive thinking and kind of changing the way your brain works. 
Mm-hmm. And instead of having this roller coaster of highs and lows, just kind of keeping it like in the middle, not getting too excited or cocky when something good happens and then not getting too down on yourself when something bad happens. And through that, that's when I was kind of like, okay, just keep doing all these jobs no matter what, keep doing them as hard as you can, keep being positive and it will just happen. And don't care about the money, don't care about any of that, just concentrate on like what you're doing and be in the moment. And that kind of just literally started happening. And I'd write down my goals and everything for the year. And all of a sudden at the end of the year, after reading this book, I checked off every single goal, had the best year of my life. And I was just like, what the, what, what the hell just happened? Wow. So yeah, I, I'm still progressing in that mindset. But, you know, that's where I see guys like to bring up Corey Wilson again. Although he works hard and he's extremely talented, everybody loves Corey because, you know, because he's a good human, but he's so positive to be around. And it's like it's infectious when you're on set with them or if you're a girl shooting with him or you're a surfer. I mean, they love him. Everyone yeah. loves him. And he gets the job done. Yep. So it's just to be more like a good dude like that. That's good, man. I think, you know, maybe the other bit you haven't thought about with that that I'm hearing as well is is just working. Like yep. a lot of people complain they don't have work. Well, I don't have a job. I don't, didn't get the work I wanted. But you find out that they might have knocked back that opportunity or they knocked back a project or they haven't shown enthusiasm with something their boss has given them so the boss has given it to someone else and they, and they complain about it. Yeah. Um, so I think there's something in that, you know, um, you can't obviously do everything. You don't have the time to do five jobs at once necessarily. But um, I think it's better to take a job, low paying, you know, maybe you don't know the company for a week rather than sit around on your, on your hands going, shit, I don't have a job for a week. I mean, when I was at Rip Curl in 2009, so I was an intern for the whole summer. Mick Fainting had won lower trestles, and my boss and the team manager, Dylan Slater at the time, he made our team manager, Nick, take all Mick's. Mick had a flight to France the next day or something like that for the European leg. And my boss made Nick take all Mick's surfboards in the back of his pickup truck, and they had a limo, and Mick's like, I want to go party in, in West Hollywood. And my boss looked at me, he's like, jump in. I'm like, what? Like, Mick just won 105,000. You're like inviting me in the limo? And um, and we all went out and everything like that. And I was still unpaid. My dad was like, if you don't get a job at the end of the summer, that was in September. He's like, if you don't get a job, you're flipping burgers. Like, that's it. And he was serious. Like, he's a very hardworking guy. He's a, he was a dentist for 45 years, drilling yeah. kids' teeth every single day. Like, he knows what hard work is. And uh, and that was in the, the economy crash. And Dylan and, and a few other people had secured, I think it was, they paid me 1500 bucks a month for a year. At Rip Curl. Wow. And my rent was 1100 and, um, and that was it. And then through that, God, I think I ended up making like a little bit more than that down the road. But it just didn't matter at one point. You're just working hard and figuring it out. And you can't worry about all the money and stuff in the end. But, yeah, I mean, that's where that work ethic kind of – you just you, I didn't have a, a choice really. Like that was it. That's awesome, mate. Um, and, geez, you've blossomed, buddy. Like the last couple of years you got some big – big brands uh, that you work with. Um, you know, you're here in Australia. We've got you over in, in the country for about a week and a half doing some work. Talk about some of the companies you've been working for lately and more importantly, what are you doing for them? Lorna Jane's a big one. White Fox Boutique. Uh, Frankie's Bikinis is a good one. Um, I still do some work for Smith Optics. Um, I've done some work for the Waldorf Astoria recently. Yeah, I'd say Lorna Jane and Frankie's are probably my two favorites at the moment. They're all they're all fun. I mean, honestly, like these days, I go onto a set, and if you get a call sheet and it's a supermodel, you're just I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like it's it's kind of fake, you know. Like yeah. like girls are playing dress up all day, and my job is to film them. 
-hmm. and then you get paid for it. But there's a lot of back-end stuff. How did you get those two jobs, can I ask you? Like Lorna Jones, Australian company. Huge company. I didn't even – I didn't – know about them at all until uh i shot a job for 300 bucks with the buddy and then he just because he was a friend of like four other friends and the four friends he kind of he threw at me were like really close close friends of mine and i was like all right if he's friends with those guys like he must be a good dude i'll go shoot for 30 minutes some um some australian actress or something and um and he had a friend at lorna jane and they were looking for some video stuff and that was it like three days later they hit me up. We did a three-day job in California, and we all kind of hit it off. And I've just been knocking on wood since and trying to work as hard as I possibly can for them. And it's been great. Like, I, you learn a lot. It's really fun because you're not shooting girls in bikinis. You're just, you know, with, like, it's not just a model on the beach playing playing dress-up. What that company stands for is, like, pretty cool. Yeah. And empowering women um, of all walks of life. And it's just, it's really, really fun to be a part of. It really is. And everyone has fun throughout the day, you know, like. You're eating healthy, you're running around, and it's just a good time. Because working for Lorna Jane, I imagine, is many female and male people's dream jobs in Australia. Yeah. You know, it's a huge brand over here, like around the world, I'm sure, but certainly in Australia, um, you know, with, with the history the brand has over here. Yeah, another another big corporate company as well. Like, what, what do you pick up? What do you learn? I mean, you still learn all the, all the same stuff back in the Rip Curl days. It's, you just work as hard as you possibly can. You know, you, the biggest one is like, you're trying to please them. Um, and that's with any job really, but I'm trying to please my client. So if they want to change something or you have to stay up late in the night, or, you know, if you did an edit, that's 15 seconds and you really loved it and they don't like, it doesn't matter. You have to change it. You got to work your ass off. And with them, the amount of content we create, is pretty insane. Like every day we shoot on, on average five, 15 second commercials throughout the day. Each of those gets converted into four different sizes for all the social channels. So it's a lot of work. Yeah. And usually the deadlines are like a week after. So I stay up all night and stuff like that. But you just have to remember, like, one, I'm grateful to have that job and be in that position. But two, um, like I said, like, at the end of the day, when they're, when they're a CEO or their creative director um, or the owners or anything, when they email me and all the girls who work from the company and they're super stoked on what I've done – that I've worked my ass off for, like, in all honesty, like, you're working hard. Yeah. You forget they're supermodels on set because you're just working. And just like anybody else, you got to work. But uh, at the end of the day, like, that's the big one. It's like you're just satisfied. It's just a good feeling. Yep. Yeah. Like, people love what you're doing. 100%. And you got to, you know, you obviously got to impress yourself and keep yourself motivated too. I try. <laughs> Here's one for you. Film, well, both photos and film, um, photos and video, should I say, um, have gone through huge, huge changes. Um, you know, just the leap from film to, you know, digital video uh, was a game changer for a lot of the people working in it. Some people didn't accept it. Others, you know, jumped immediately and, and crushed it. A lot of people got caught in the middle. Um, you know, what advice would you give, you know, someone in their young 20s now um, knowing that, yeah, the next five years is going to be even more ridiculous with AI, VR, everything yeah. under the sun. Um, is there advice that you can give, or are you just trying to keep up with you know new new technology that comes out, new platforms, etc.? I'm getting better at trying to keep up, but honestly, I don't pay attention to it. My whole thing has always been like obviously working hard, but I have to work harder than like I said, I have to work harder than people that are just have like that you know born gifted talent. Yep. So my thing's been like 
I don't care if that cinematographer on Instagram or whoever it is, or that guy who did, you know, the Quentin Tarantino movie has a $400,000 lens on his camera. Like, that's not what I do. I'm not good at that. And you still like, it doesn't matter the equipment you have. You still have to tell the story and you still have to get the job done. Yeah. So you kind of work with what you have. That's kind of always how I did things because when we were younger, it's just, you know, whatever cameras you had in front of you just made them work. Um, and I still do that. And there are people that are super snobby about like lenses and cameras and 8k and 4k, but those people probably aren't editing the amount of work that I'm editing. So I also know on the back end of like post-production, like I don't need an 8k camera. I don't need this. I don't need that. I don't need a VHS camera cause you can replicate that stuff for the most part in editing. But I, I try not to like pay attention to what's going on. If I walk through like, you know, electronic store, I know that the 4k TV, like how many people, you know, that 4k TVs, not many. So I know my camera is going to like last a little, a, a little while. Yeah. Um, but my thing's always been just concentrate on like on you stay in your lane and do what you've always been good at. And that's it. Or do the best you can do. You just, need those people too, right? That's you need those people. Like a lot of the jobs we've done nowadays, and even for Lorna Jane, or uh, we've done some like hotel commercial stuff where you need like car mounted cameras and crazy yeah. microphone stuff. And that stuff is like when you're like, you got to know when the time is to call in the specialty people. Yeah. That's the big one. It's like, so in the surf world or action sports world, um, you're kind of like a one-man band your entire life. And then when you go into the more pro world, you have to realize when to just throw in the towel and say, okay, I have to spend you know all the budget on getting other guys to help me do my job, even if you don't make any money off of it. Like That's just how it is, yeah. and that's how it goes. But then, like we talked about earlier, it's like that end project, just when you're working in a corporate company with all these people, like that end project's going to be so much better. And you do that a couple of times and you hope that eventually you get a bigger client and then you'll make your money back somehow. But that's kind of like the technology thing there is that's, that's like the next stepping stone in commercial stuff is you just hire people out. Yeah. Yeah. To help you do your job. Mate, this, this segue couldn't have been any better. Um, every episode I do a student question of the week. Yep. Um, this one's from a guy named Sebastian. His question is, uh, and I think this is actually a broad question. Um, it's not specific about a filmmaker or a videographer, but it's a segue couldn't have been better. Would you suggest being a specialist in your field or a jack of all trades? And I guess this uh, would you suggest is what advice would you give someone that's you know, 18, 19, 20 starting out? Jack of all trades for sure. Like I think that it's important in any, in any creative area, you should definitely like be able to hone in on a skill. Um, like the whole film world's a big world, obviously, and I – know how to do like this little social media stuff pretty well or making social media videos for the other clients. But I pride myself in knowing like a little bit about everything that I'm doing. And I think that like when you go to big corporate companies or you meet people like those are the important guys, you know, like if you can only do one thing, you're not going to last very long. And that's where like you challenged me and other people challenged me in the webcast days, we'd have to do things and I'd be like, well, I don't know how to do that. And my bosses at the time were like, well, you better figure it out. You know, like, yeah, like just figure it out. Like you have one day, go yeah. ahead. And you'd figure it out. Like that's just, that's part of like a creative process. But I, I think it's like a life process, right? Trial and error. You learn from every job. You learn from every mistake you, you make. And you learn from all the good stuff that happens and the bad. But yeah, jack of all trades. And you don't have to do everything, right? You can, if you don't like no. something, move on. Um, all right, mate, we've got to wrap this up. Uh, next dream job, future dream job for you what's next future dream job i'm kind of in it but um 
you know, like I used to do all the video stuff and I used to look at other people's work and I'd be like, you know, one day I want to direct a Victoria's Secret commercial. If I'm going to be shooting models, I'm going to be doing the best stuff in the world. But having said that, I didn't really realize that I was already doing some of the best stuff in the world for other companies that are way cooler and, and, and way more empowering than a Victoria's Secret or whatever it is. So I think I'm kind of in my dream position. I definitely want to keep evolving, keep getting better and keep challenging myself. That's like the big one is, is when I see movies now or other commercials, it's like taking those things into what we're doing now. So the next thing will be, you know, hiring other cinematographers that are way better because my talent only maxes out, but, but at some point and then, uh, doing like really, really insane work. But yeah, I think just making the productions bigger and having fun. That's kind of it. Yeah, simple. I'm in the dream job. Awesome, mate. Well, we'll share uh, your channels, your Vimeo and some of your other social channels uh, on this podcast. Really appreciate your time today. Good luck in the uh, the next couple of years, mate. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. You too. Appreciate it. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.